Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. We are going to be in Genesis today, chapter 24, if you want to open your Bibles up to that as we get into, you know, continue our study. We're, we're not skipping around in the Bible. We are chronologically going through the Bible together. But, you know, I found it, I was actually kind of disappointed we skipped Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, because uh, I just feel like that is such an important story for the church today. A lot of pastors would come up, maybe, or maybe, you know, maybe not, but I think a lot would take the, 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 the that that story is basically a story condemning homosexuality and debauch, debauchery, right? Which I, uh, you know, just to be clear, I believe, I believe that that is a sin, okay? However, I think a majority of the story, the narrative of the Sodom and Gomorrah story is more for the church, Right? Because it's, it's about Lot, who was a God-fearing man who camped up next to sin. Right? And his character became corrupted. And you know, his idea of what was right and wrong became corrupted. And I think, you know, when we, I, I hate that we miss that, and I'm not going to preach it, but I, I encourage you to go back and read that from, with a lens that it's for the church. Right? Now, see, here's the thing about biblical narratives, especially in the Old Testament stories. There are certain... There are other denominations who think we shouldn't even preach hardly from the Old Testament because then it's a narrative, it's a story, it's a historical account of both the good and the bad. And basically, we should base most of our teaching on the New Testament teachings of Paul, right, who definitely instructs the church as black and white, do this, don't do that. But here's the great thing about Old Testament narrative. Like, maybe you're reading along with us. I hope you are. I hope you're following in the devotion that you're reading you know, you're filling in all the gaps of what we're going through together with your daily reading that we have available for you online on our devotional page, and you're going through it. And as you're going through it, you may be gleaning things from Scripture that I'm not gleaning, right? Because the thing about the story today, we're going to be in Abraham, and we're going to be talking about Isaac and Rebecca. you're going to get things out of that story that maybe I didn't get and I'm not preaching about today. Right, But you may still be receiving from the Lord. There's just a lot of things in our own perspective. Our culture weighs in on that. right? And our own perspective weighs in it. Our personal histories weigh in on it about what God is speaking to us. Now, our goal here at the church is not for you just to sit there and listen to preaching. right? Or be part of even be part of a small group, which is definitely a higher goal. Our goal is that you would learn to hear from God yourself and respond in a godly way, right? Respond to what the Word of God is saying. See, just hearing the Word of God, the answer to the problems in our life is not more Bible studies. It's not. It's obedience to what we already know, right? It's obedience to what we already know. Now, see, this Christian life, we can get, I think we can get a little bit distracted, right? Because it's not just hearing. It's not just listening. It's doing, Right? James says that our faith is demonstrated in what we do, right? How we behave, how we act. Now, we know we're approved by God. We know that as Christians, those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are approved. We're approved workmen. We have nothing to prove, actually. Jesus has proved it all for us on the cross. But if I believe something, it's going to manifest itself in how I live my life. Amen? 
And so today, as we dig in, I want you to know, you may get something different from me. And maybe I'm, maybe today, because I, I want to tell you, this whole week I've been praying, I've been studying God's Word, it's sermon salad going around in my head right now, right? There's a million ways you can take these things. But I, I feel like I've narrowed it down to three main ideas that I want to focus on. But man, I guess I said all that, all that to say, get in God's Word. There is life in God's word. And right, as long as we're getting truth out of God's word and God is speaking to us and we're reacting, right? That's that's awesome. Now, a lot of people get God's word twisted too, right? And so we need to be careful in some ways, right? If God is saying something only to you that he's never said to anybody else, red flag. Okay? Seriously, red flag cuz people, we've been doing this for 2000 years this following Jesus thing. And if God has given you some, something in Scripture that nobody else has ever thought of ever, red flag, okay? You probably need to check that, right? And in that, I'm available to you. Your growth group leader is available to you. The, the leaders in the church are available to you to bounce that stuff off of. You know, God's telling me I got to kill my cat because dogs, all dogs go to heaven. We got problems, okay? Let's, let's, let's talk about that. That's not of God, all right? You had a bad dream or something. I don't know. Let's figure it out. But you know what I'm saying. Um, we want you to hear from God and respond to what God is saying to you. So I got some pictures up here I want to show you. The first one I want to show you is, I don't know how many of you remember this. This is a street map. <laughs> how many of you remember using a street map? Okay. Okay. A lot of you. Okay. That's good. That's good. Street maps almost ruined my marriage. Right, because you're driving, you can't look at it. Who's in the driver's this passenger seat? Your wife, and she's telling you, she's reading the map. She's got it upside down. Blah blah blah, or maybe it's vice versa for you. Okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be sexist here. Maybe it's vice versa. The woman's driving, the man's trying to figure out directions. Left here, right here. Blah blah blah. This was a mess. This was a mess, right? And then we evolved. We kind of evolved to this. Now this, seriously, this was stupid. Right? Because you'd have MapQuest and you could figure out how to get from A to B, but you'd have to have 50 pieces of paper and you're kind of still doing the same thing. And it's a paper map, but it's just the map you needed. Now, as you can see, go back one more. Paper maps, 700 years before Christ, we've been using paper maps up until 1996. Right? Then, we, in 1996, for only four years did MapQuest really exist, right? That people were using it. And then we moved to this. Now, some of you are still using this today. 2000 to 2008. Why 2000? That's when GPS became legal for civilians to use, right? So the government started GPS, and then they released the signal to the civilian population around 2000. So for about eight years, this device dominated navigation. And oh, what a blessing it was. Right? I mean, there's no more fighting in the car about where you're going. If anything was wrong, it was that, right? <laughs> and you were about to, but maybe you threw a couple of these out of the window, right? But now we've evolved yet again to this the app. And this happens to be Waze, okay? But the navigational app. Now, I have an app for driving and I have an app for bike riding, two distinct apps for navigating. And man, you can, can you imagine driving around Europe? with paper maps. Now, my parents did it. My dad was stationed in Germany. My mom and dad saw a lot of Europe with paper maps, man. Now, 
We can go to Prague. Beep, beep, boop, boop, boop. Prague. Boom. We're going. And it gets you there. It gets you to your hotel. Turn by turn instructions. And we've become very accustomed to this. There's a show, a television show I like, maybe you like it, maybe you don't, called Parks and Rec. The, one of the characters, Tom, who's very techie, he, he only lives three blocks from where he works. Every day he puts the address in his GPS. I mean, seriously, we have forgotten to pay attention where we're going, haven't we? Because we trust this navigational device that's in our, in our hand or in our pocket or on our dashboard. And I mean, it's, it's been pretty awesome, seriously. And you know, I have an aunt who, you know, when GPS came out, she just thought it was the stupidest thing ever. Like, I know how to read a map. And her and her husband were really a piece of work in the car, right? It wasn't pretty. And I was like, why don't you just use the GPS? Because I am an intelligent person, I can read a map. Okay, fine. I'm telling you, this is the best thing since sliced bread, seriously. I love these things. I wish the rest of life was as easy to navigate as using an app in your phone, right? Don't you? Don't you wish, like, just, okay, here I am at a crossroads. I don't know to go left or right in my life. Which way do I go? Don't you just wish you had, like, Siri to tell you? You know? You know? Just, like, go left here. Just follow this way. I want to tell you, I think, I think God has given us a GPS, right? He's given us a GPS. He's giving us turn-by-turn instructions. And we think sometimes we misinterpret it, and we think like our wife with the paper map, they're just trying to drive us crazy. That God's just trying to drive us crazy with his GPS, but he's not. He's trying to get us to a destination. He's trying to get us where we, want, where we actually want to be. All right? How many of you want to spend eternity with Jesus Christ? Is that where you really want to be? Raise your hand. Seriously, raise it. Keep it up. If you, that's what your destination is. Amen. All right, put your hands down. I'd say that's at least a majority of the people in the room, right? Want the destination. We have the GPS here, okay? We have it in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have the GPS to get us to the destination. We're just not really good sometimes at listening, right? And today we have the story uh, you know, another story about Abraham, but this, this also involves his son Isaac. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Now, we are also going to skip a little bit around in Genesis chapter 24 because the story repeats itself. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham speaks to his servant. And then his servant repeats it a couple of times as he's explaining the story. Okay, but we're going to focus right now on just verses one through nine. We'll take a little break and then we'll come back and go 12 through 20 or 19. And then we'll take another break and get to the end of the chapter. Okay, so verse one, Genesis chapter 24. Now, Abraham was old. The Bible tells us this very often that he is old. Duh, we get it. He's old. Okay, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the old of his of his household, uh, many scholars think this is the, the servant that was to inherit in all of Abraham's wealth if it wasn't for Isaac. He calls him in and he says, who had, he had charge of all that he had still. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the Lord God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Now the symbolism of taking your hand and putting it under the thigh is an ancient, like, pinky swear, 
is really what it is. Okay, We don't really understand where it came from, but we understand that it did exist and there are other examples of it, but we don't really know a lot about it except that it's just basically a gentleman's agreement pinky swear type thing that you swear to me you're going to do this, okay? Verse 4, but you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you may be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham and his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Okay, so let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. I had some serious questions about this, okay? Did you know that Abraham, Sarah is Abraham's half-sister? Did you know that? And did you also know that basically when Abraham is sending um, his servant back to his own people, he literally means his own family to take a wife for his son? And you could think, okay, this is kind of weird because this seems incestuous, right? And it, it, it does. And maybe some of you don't have these questions, but this seemed weird to me. And so I felt like I had to do some research. And I had researched this actually before, but I forgot the answer. And um, here's the thing. Adam and Eve were the first man and woman. They had kids, and they also had kids, right? But they had kids with their brothers and sisters, obviously. Is God endorsing this? No, he's not. But we have to understand that the gene pool at this time was very, very pure, right? It's through the fall that the gene pool has been increasingly corrupted. We don't read any stories of anybody having leprosy, having any kind of chromosomal disorders in any of the, a good chunk of the Old Testament, okay? That we don't see the corruption of the gene pool come until much, much later, okay? So God is giving a dispensation of grace here, right? But later on in Leviticus, he deals with incest and it's not okay, Right? He says, okay, this is it. This is where this has to stop because the gene pool is increasingly becoming corrupted. I mean, we're still seeing new diseases, new things even come up today. So this idea, Abraham's idea, is not that you go back and we keep it all in the family. His idea is that when he goes back, the Canaanites were idol worshipers. A- Abraham knows the, remember where Abraham came from, right? We look at Abraham, Father Abraham. We look at him and we, we think, oh man, here's a holy man of God, a patriarch. But he wasn't always that way. When God found him, he was an idol worshiper. And so he understood the, corruptive, the corrupt practices of the people around him. And so he said, go back to my family, some people who fear God, and get a wife for my son. And so that's what happens. And so uh, just in case you were asking the same questions I'm asking about that relationship, um, that's the explanation I found, and it satisfied my Um, inquisition. Maybe you need to look further. Another thing that struck me about this was the seriousness by which the servant took the oath, right? I think the Bible is very clear that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, our word should be our bond, all right? It should be our bond. And when we enter into a contract or an agreement, whether we don't like, if we like it later or not, we should honor it. Right now, I'm paying for a gem membership Obviously, I haven't used in six months, okay? But I'm under contract to pay that monthly thing, so I'm not backing out of it. I'm not making up something to get out of it. I'm just finishing it out, right? 
And so that's the, our word should be our bond. And here's the servant saying, well, you know, what if she doesn't want to come back? You know, what am I supposed to do then? And he's figuring it out. Church, there's a, no, there's a mini sermon here, okay, about entering into contractual agreements, entering it, you know, giving our word and keeping our word. We should be careful about it. We should consider it carefully. Look at the options. And then, if so, then enter, you know, if we still feel comfortable, enter into that agreement, which is exactly what the servant did. You know, if the woman doesn't come back, what am I supposed to do? Take her? Am I supposed to take your son? What's the protocol here? And he figures it out, and then he puts his hand under his thigh and swears to Abraham, it will be done. Now, other questions that came up. Why, God, did you not, why did, why did Abraham insist that his son not go back to his land? Because God promised to bless Abraham in where he was, right? The promise was to go, leave your people, and go. Now, so the blessing was to take place here. But the, the, the people that he wanted his son to marry were somewhere else. And it doesn't say that they were totally isolated or anything. And I'm, I think, actually, Abraham did have contact at t- from time to time with his family back where he came from because we know that they started to fear God as well, okay? And so, you know, he says, I'm going to stay. When it would have been easy to leave, right? I'm going to stay. My son's going to stay. I'm going to send my servant instead, Abraham obeyed God. This is, we see this time and time again. And Stacy sang it so well, and we all sang with her. Where you go, I will go. When you say stay, I will stay. This is the essence of what it means to follow God. When you say go, I'll go. When you say stay, I'll stay. And in Abraham's time, this is all he had. God showed up, told him something, and he did it. He did it. I was thinking, would, God, would Abraham really have slayed his son? I think so. I think so. He would have done it. God said to do something. He just said, I'll do it. Was it did, it, did it make sense to him? No. Did it seem like God was acting exactly like the pagan gods he used to serve? Yeah. But he trusted the word of God and he just did it, even though it didn't quite make sense to him. He just did it. And of course, God doesn't want child sacrifice. He was testing the faithfulness of Abraham. And so, of course, he stayed the hand of Abraham. That was never the intention. God never wants child sacrifice. He never wants us to cut ourselves in, in a way to serve him or, or mutilate our bodies as an expression of our worship. If you've got a tattoo that you think glorifies God, I, I, I'm here to tell you, I don't think God cares. I don't think he cares. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And you've got some tattoo on your body that says, you know, Psalm something something, and you think that's, you're, uh, you're paying homage to God. I don't think he cares about it, right? He cares about our obedience, our trust, and that's what Abraham demonstrated. It's Abraham's will to stay in Canaan, to seek out and to seek out a good godly bride for his son. That just strikes me. Abraham seems bipolar, right? He's got a hand over his son on an altar. He's he's ready to strike him down at this moment. Isaac might be thinking, "I'm calling DCFS." You know, I mean, this is the worst father ever, right? I mean, he's on that, you know, what are you thinking? And then just 40 years later, you know, 30 years later, Abraham is just absolutely consumed with finding a, a, a good bride for his son. He's a loving father. And there's a lot to learn from Father Abraham and what it means to be a father. Now, 
I am probably not the best person to expound on that, right? But I mean, if you look at his example, Abraham was unflinching in his obedience to God. You know, I see a lot, I've been a pastor a long time. I've seen a lot of families uh, come and go, and I've seen kids, you know, we have kids that we minister to early in our ministry who are adults and who have kids of their own now. And you think, you think back to the ones who follow God, who know his way and never depart from it. And a big contributing factor to that are parents who unwaveringly follow the Lord. Now, I don't mean go to church on Sunday and then do whatever during the week. These are people who acknowledge God in their coming and their going. Right? They make God a priority in their home and in their house. Now, this doesn't guarantee that your kids will always follow the Lord, but I believe it significantly increases the chances, right? I believe that because I've seen it, right? People who live their faith out consistently in front of their kids, not just bring them to church and hope they get it from whoever's serving your kids back there, but that they do it every single day and they live it out. These are the people who raise up godly children, and Abraham is a perfect example of what it means to raise up godly kids. And you think about Abraham, he was a pioneer. He was a pioneer. He came from idol worshipers. He's a first generation Christian, or excuse me, Jew. He's a first generation God fearer, right? And he's, he's establishing his line to fear the Lord with Isaac. And he wants a godly woman. And he, you know, this might seem micromanaging, way too involved, right? And I think there are parents out there who think, well, if I insist on something for my kids, they're going to hate me. Abraham, when he had the knife over his son, didn't care if Isaac was going to hate him. Listen, church, there's something to learn from Abraham. He wasn't consumed with what his son thought of him. He was consumed of how he honored God by raising his son. There's a big, big difference. We should fear God and raise our kids in the fear of the Lord, not in fear of our children. Amen? It's a big, big, I think there's a big point there. And again, I know that some of this is instantly dismissed because I'm childless. And believe me, I wish it was the other way around. But I'm I'm coming to you today preaching what I believe is the word of God and the example of Abraham. That we fear God, we raise our kids that way, we don't fear our kids. Hello? All right. So God decided Abraham was going to be the people the Israel was going to be the people, and now we, we don't get to Israel until Jacob, but Abraham was going to be the people from which the Messiah came. And so this line is going to be preserved. We see it throughout history, even when the Jews are decimated. You know how we knew Hitler wasn't going to win? Because the Jews are not going to be wiped off the face of the earth. They're not going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Okay, No matter how much he tried, the final solution was destined to fail from the very beginning because the Bible tells us so. And, even, and man, he was not the first the Jews, for some reason, have raised the ire of, of seemingly humanity throughout history. There's always been somebody seeking to destroy the Jews, but God made sure there was always a remnant. Somebody's always going to survive. And here we see it. God has decided it's going to come through Abraham. It's going to come through the Jews. Abraham obeys God. He decided, God decided, I'm going to bless you here in Canaan. It's funny that Canaan, where Abraham was, is it is really close and is part of the promised land that the Jews inherit out of Egypt. They're already there. 
They're already there. Isn't that weird? Wait till we get later, right? And we figure out why they left and what drove them to leave and, you know, how that all worked out. But God decided it was going to be this place. You know, is it important we pray for Israel? Yes. Does God love Jews more than you? No. No. Never think that, okay? So there is some teaching out there that says, yes, there's a special dispensation for Jews. There's one way to Jesus. There's one way to God. It's through Jesus, and that's for Jews and Gentile alike. Okay, it was always God. Why is why are the Jews special, and especially in the Old Testament because it's through the line of, that the Messiah will come. It goes through Jesus, right? Jesus comes from this line. This is why it's important. So Abraham obeys God's will because he understands God decided he stay there. So God decides. Number two, God guides. Getting a pattern here, right? God guides. When we put God first, let, let's go to Scripture first. 24, 12 through 19. Okay, let's start in verse 12. And then he said, who said? The servant. O Lord, God of my master Abraham. See, this is, let's just stop for, this is awesome. This is not his son. This is his servant. Abraham was just such a godly man, such a leader, that even his, his servants just start putting their faith and their trust in God, all right? So here he is praying, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today as I show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Verse 14, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to, to my master. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, so that makes her Abraham's grandniece, came out with her, uh, with her jar of water on her shoulder. The young woman was, a very was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also, so that they had finished drinking. So here we are. We see, we see God is clearly directing. And now we have the servant who prays very specifically to identify this woman. He definitely wanted to get this right, right? And I want you to know that watering camels was no small task. I've mentioned this before, but there is a camel farm here nearby. They are massive beasts. They're big. Some of you have been to Afghanistan, Iraq. You've seen camels, right? Egypt, Morocco. You've probably, maybe even some of you have ridden a camel. Good for you. Not something I really want to do. But they are huge. And this myth, there's a myth that, you know, camels store water in their hump. That's actually a big hump of fat, uh, because food is also scarce in the desert. But camels got this reputation because they can drink massive amounts of water. 53 gallons in three minutes. 53 gallons, and now, and there was at least 10 camels on this trip. So if they can drink, it's just like how many, think of what Rebecca is saying. Think of the gift of hospitality this woman has, right? She says she gets the jar, which is probably made of clay, Heavy in itself, full of water, 
right? I mean, I have an aquarium. I, you know, have to clean it. And I fill up five-gallon buckets of water. They're heavy. They're heavy. She's got a, t- a ton of work ahead of her. And she says, here, yes, have some water. And I'll take care of your camels too. Ten camels, 53 gallons in three minutes. That's a lot of water. Now, she may have had sisters or servants with her to help. But no matter what, she was not afraid to get her hands dirty. She had a gift of hospitality and she was willing to serve. I think all excellent qualities, right? All excellent qualities. And here's the servant, even before his journey, even before he starts spying out the land, he didn't, he just, now how many of you guys, if you're going to, somebody says, go find a wife for me, you're just going to look for the hot one, right? (laughs) That's what you're going to do, right? You're just going to be like, oh wow, she's pretty hot. I'll take her. But this servant doesn't take this approach. That would have been the easy way, right? But he says, God, direct my paths. Show me exactly who you want. And and I will know it's who you have chosen when she says this, this, such and such, right? He's seeking God. So God has made his will clear through Abraham. Go find a wife. But even though his will is clear, there's a lesson here for us. Even though God has made his will clear and he's obviously directing our path, it doesn't mean we should stop praying. It doesn't mean we should stop seeking God and looking for his continual direction in, in, in our situation. We can, should continue to pray, continue to seek God and trust him, right? Because our natural inclinations are often wrong. To look for the hot one would have been wrong. When we're looking for a king, right? When we get to kings and we, you know, Saul is going to become the first king. What, who'd they look for? The biggest, toughest guy. And they got what they asked for. And he turned out to be a totally horrible king, and then they get David, the wimpiest little dude, and he's one of the greatest kings of all time, all right? Because, you know, our inclinate, God looks at the heart. We look at the outside. And so we should be trusting God, even after he's made his will clear. I can tell you that it's absolutely, without a doubt, God has destined that Stacy and I be here as your pastors. That we found the church, that we, and we hope, as we continually seek God for, on your behalf, on behalf of the church, that God is continuing to lead us, that he didn't just lead us, and now we're on our own, but that he is continually leading us as we pastor and serve you, and serve him by serving you. You know, we can't just like get what we want and then give up on prayer. We need to continually seek God and and ask for his guiding. How do we find a mate? Now see, we're going to take a little pause here. A lot of you are already married, okay? But for those of you who are not, especially teenagers among us, I got a little sermon for you today. How do you find a mate? Well, first you pray and you ask God. And then you let him lead. And then you get yourself a bunch of camels. (laughs) And this is how you find a mate. Seriously. No. The first two, yes. The The third one, maybe not so much. All right, But it doesn't hurt to have a job. And a career in these things, right? You should be able to support yourself. The camels were a representation of Isaac's wealth, right? I do think it's important for young men to be able to take care of themselves before they take on the added responsibility of caring for a spouse, okay? I I do think this is important. Women, teenage girls, this is, that's for you, right? When you're looking for a guy, you're not just looking for the cute one right? But you're looking for somebody who is also chaste. Now, the virginity thing is kind of weird, right? We see this a lot in the Bible. We see it a lot in contemporary culture even, that virgins are valued, 
right? Virgins are valued. What do I think the significance of that is? Well, I think in our perverted culture, we, we like the idea as men that especially, okay, no one else has ever touched this woman, right? And perhaps that alleviates some of our own insecurities, right? Maybe that's what it is. But I think what's important about it is that it demonstrates Rebecca's faithfulness to God, right? Because she's putting aside what she wants now, right? Because each one of us, when, when teenagers, you're not going through anything unfamiliar to us, right? You want to have sex with everybody all the time. I understand what it is to be a teenager, right? And, and, and you have things coming, uh, you know, there are things in you that you don't understand and you wish they weren't there. I get it, right? And I'd love to say that that totally goes away. It doesn't. But there is choosing God, right? And I want to note that Isaac also was most likely a virgin and 40 years old, all right? 40 years old and most likely also a virgin. He was forbidden to marry any of the women in his area. And so I, it, it is, we can assume that it was forbidden that he have relations with any of those women because, it, you know, if he ever got one of them pregnant, he would have to care for them, right? And so it was probably forbidden for him to have relations with any of the women from which he was from, where he was living. So we can assume, even though the Bible doesn't say so, that they were both virgins. Now, virginity is more than just a physical attribute. It is a spiritual attribute as well. It's saying, I am saving my, I am honoring God and I am saving myself for my husband. For this reason, a man and woman should leave their mother and father and be united in one flesh. Now, in marriage, it doesn't always work out. And I'm not here to condemn you all right, if, if you are married today and you didn't. But what I'm saying is there is value in it today. And it's not some demeaning little thing that we look at the Bible and, oh, how cute, but it's not a reality for today. It is. It is. And it is possible if we keep our mind on Christ and off what we want in our flesh. Listen, men especially know that, I tell you, man, there is something in us that is just weird and twisted, and I hate it about us, right? But we are there is something in us that is constantly thinking about it, you know? And, and uh, of course, we can't, we know that God has us for one woman, right? And we keep our, we do our, I hope, we do our best to keep our mind, our thoughts pure, our bodies pure, and we honor our wives with how we conduct ourselves. But uh, I, I just think this virginity thing gets a bad, bad rap all the time. And I don't want you teenagers to believe what the world would say is that if you believe in saving yourself for marriage, you're, number one, an idiot, which the world will often say that it's stupid and foolish and it's unnatural and all that. Of course, it's unnatural. Yes, it is unnatural. But it's sacrificing what you want now for the good of the later. And I want to tell you, it makes that wedding night, it makes your relationship with your spouse, I'm not just blowing smoke here, it makes it way, way awesome. Right, it makes it awesome, and so, you know, wait, wait, and don't be in a big hurry to find a mate, right? Don't be in a big hurry. Pray, seek God, let Him lead. Let Him lead you in in your selection for someone. God left no doubt in His selection for Isaac's wife to be Rebecca. She was young, she was beautiful, she was chaste, and as the servant prayed, 
everything was required. Everything was met. Now, Stacy will tell you, and she's testified before, but maybe not from up here, that when she, for some reason when she prayed for a husband, she prayed for somebody with a truck, right? A good, is that true? A good, I, I think I remember right, a good Texas boy is what she wanted. What she got was a Texas trans, Chicagoan Texas transplant uh, with a pickup truck. But God did answer, right, and did specifically say, you know, you know, that's what she prayed for and that's who showed up. And everything else she prayed for too, handsome, smart, <laughs> loaded, all of that. I mean, she really struck the mother load. But pray, you know, she prayed specifically. And uh, I prayed, I was a kind of a new Christian. I prayed, God, give me a God-fearing woman. Because if you give me somebody like me, I'm surely, I think we're going to mess it up. But give me somebody mature who can kind of lead me and guide me a little bit, kind of like Jordan and Shay as well, who can help me in this journey. And God did, did do that in an awesome way. So God guides his people. Lastly, God provides. God provided a beautiful, God-fearing woman for Isaac. But we cannot miss the point here. It was God who made the way for Abraham to honor the covenant. God gave very strict parameters. You're going to stay here. And Abraham, it's interesting to know, Abraham worked within God's will, not outside of it. He stayed where God told him to, but he still got a wife for his son from his own people, right? He didn't operate outside God's will. And, you know, now he's done that before, but he, I think he learned his lesson with Hagar, right? He learned his lesson. And, and here he is. He's like, I'm going to operate within God's will. And, and so God made the way for Abraham to honor his covenant with himself. God made the way. God answered the prayers of Abraham. And I'm sure of Isaac, the guy's 40 years old, man. You know, God, I need somebody, right? His mother just died. He's very depressed. I'm sure it doesn't, the Bible, of course, doesn't rec record Isaac was praying for a wife, but I th I, I'm a dude, I can assume he was praying, okay? God answered the prayers for sure, though, of Abraham and his servant, and we can assume of Isaac as well. And God provided the woman through whom the promise made to Abraham would come. Now, we're still one generation away. We're still one generation of, away from seeing the, the 12 tribes and all of this. But the line of Abraham is continuing because God is faithful to his promise. God is faithful to Abraham. God is faithful to Isaac. He's faithful to Jacob and Esau, who we'll talk about next week. He is faithful to keep his promises. And like Abraham, sometimes we have to get really, really old before we start taking this for granted. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Sometimes God has to keep a million promises to us before we start realizing that we can really trust him. You know, that speed of trust is sometimes really, really slow. But it's always God who's keeping his promises. So, God made the way, God answered, God provided. Church, there's one other thing I want to touch on real quick that really spoke to me this week. It's not quite in line with the sermon, but I just feel like I need to share with you. And that's that Abraham, like I said, was a first-generation God-fearer. And today, some of you are in that same boat, right? You come from either an agnostic family or a family that didn't serve God, and you are the first ones to give your heart 
to the Lord, right? And to follow the Lord. And you have children, and you want your children to be the second generation, right? You want them to know Jesus. And uh, there, is over, there, is, there is such thing as being a helicopter parent, being a hovering parent, being an overbearing parent, but wanting what's best for your kids and to ensure that they become the second generation of believer in your family, that, that is not a sin, right? But we must submit our lives to God. We must live in obedience to him and his word as we parent, as we lead. And then I believe we'll see that. Now, for Stacy and I, like, I am not going to see that. But I have a brother who's recently come to the Lord, and he has a son. And I pray that, his, that this leady name, right, will have a legacy of somebody who follows Jesus, right? And I, I hope that's my nephew. You know, I've seen what God has done to my brother. I want to see that. And parents... Again, be like Abraham. Study Abraham. Don't fear your kids. Don't fear that they won't serve God if you're too strict or whatever. Follow the Lord. Follow Scripture. And then put your trust in that. Put your trust in that and parent your kids that way. In conclusion, what do I think we should get from this story? Go where God has called you to go. Regardless of how much fear you have, some of you are facing transition out of the military, out of careers that you've had for a long, long time. You're facing the unknown. Just go where God has called you to go and, and trust him, right? How many times has God been? And look back upon his faithfulness, right? I think you don't have to be very, a Christian very long to have some examples of faithfulness in your personal life. But if you have to, go to the Bible and look at God's faithfulness. Look at Abraham. Look at Isaac. Look at Jacob. Pray that he continue to lead you, bless you, and give you wisdom to know how to follow his way. We know the destination. We know sometimes the destination, but how to get there seems intimidating and hard. Pray like Abraham's servant that you would find the way. And lastly, trust in his provision. Trust in his provision, his faithfulness to keep his promises. God always, always, always keeps his promises. If there's anything I'll take to the bank all day long and twice on Sunday is God will keep his promises. He is faithful to the end. And if that ever stops, if that ever stops, I would, I would cease to be a Christian, right? I mean, he has just totally always kept his promises. By very definition, if he says it, it's truth, it's truth. You can take it to the bank, literally. It's truth. It's impossible for God to tell a lie. It's impossible for him to go back on a promise. He is not like us, and we sometimes attribute to God our flaws as humans. He is not us. And he, that's why when we praise and we worship, that it should be, I mean, you know, you could feel comfortable just laying it all on the line to him. Right? In praise and in worship and in prayer. Jesus, like Abraham, came destined to leave a legacy. Right? And we are Jesus' legacy. Right? We, we are, he came to set us free, to give us freedom, to graft us into the vine, this great vine of Abraham, children of God. That's, that's, that's staggering. Church, 
One of the reasons Israel had to go on this journey and be sold to slaves, and, and we'll talk more about this, is because of their neglect to the mission of God. It's always been God's will that righteousness would come through them, right? It's always, that's always been it. And church, today, we are ambassadors for Christ, Right? The missional application of what we're learning today is that God is calling us outward. Outward. Right? And that we are to make him known. We should know that. Right? We are children of God. We don't have to fear them. And God is calling us to go, go, go. Right? So, anyway, like I said, there's a, I mean, I got, actually, these are my notes today. And uh, like I said, it was sermon salad. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. Get in there for yourself. There's more. I'm telling you, there's more. There's more in there. Even in just this story, there's more. Right? Let's get hungry for God. Let's get hungry, thirsty, like a deer pants for water. Let's get hungry. Let's get thirsty for the Word of God. If we think we can do this on our own, we're fooling ourselves. And look at every instance where somebody did something on their own in the Bible, and it's utter ruin and failure. All the time. Constantly. Story after story after story. Why do we, why do we have to feel like we're the ones that have to buck the system and prove God wrong on that? We never will. We never will. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.